I'm Scott Aniel, and welcome to By the Waters of Babylon, a podcast dedicated to discussion of Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Well, I would like to thank all who have listened to the first three episodes of this podcast and have commented and shared it on social media and emailed me messages. Uh, really has exceeded my expectations, and I'm praying that uh, the podcast can continue to be an encouragement and informative and challenging. Please help to spread the word about the podcast through social media and by subscribing and rating on iTunes or Podomatic or Stitcher or other services. So thanks so much, and I hope that this will continue to be an encouragement to you. Well, one of the things we've been discussing on this podcast is how Christians and churches should live and minister in a post-Christian culture. And one question we often face, especially as our culture continually progresses away from Scripture, is what does it really mean to serve the Lord in a post-Christian culture? Have you ever thought about that? What does it really mean to serve Christ? Many Christians, I think, think about serving Christ as something only that we do inside the church. If you're a really good Christian, then you'll participate in worship services, you'll lead small groups, you'll serve as an usher, you'll go on a mission trip. And then if you're a super Christian, why then you'll be a pastor or a missionary, because that's full-time Christian service. So that's really the Lord's work. This common way of thinking sort of considers jobs outside of full-time Christian service as fine, but really they're only secondary in importance. They just help us put food on the table so that we can really serve Christ. And those secular jobs just help to make money to give to the church so that the money can be used for real ministry. And the only way really to make a secular job spiritual is to use it as a means to open the door for real ministry. And yet I think the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, corrects this way of thinking. One passage that comes to mind is the end of Colossians chapter 3 where Paul gives some instructions for people in various stations of life. He addresses wives and husbands and children and fathers and, by implication, parents in general, and bond servants. And finally, in verse 1 of chapter 4, he addresses masters. These are everyday, normal life functions that people have in the world. And the verses I want to draw particular attention to begin in verse 22, where Paul says, bond servants. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, when the last phrase of of those verses says, you are serving the Lord Christ, It's really including every single one of the vocations mentioned in the context, which goes all the way back to verse 18 by speaking to wives. Wives, it says, when you do what wives do, you are serving the Lord Christ. Paul then moves to husbands. Husbands, when you do your job as a husband, you are serving the Lord Christ. And he moves to children and parents. When you do your job as a child or as a parent, you are serving the Lord Christ. But then, perhaps most remarkable at all, we get to this verse 22, where Paul addresses bondservants. Now, maybe we can see how wives and husbands and children and parents are all God-ordained vocations in which we can legitimately serve him. But servants? 
I mean, we can see how God created husbands and wives. He created parents and children. But bondservant is a station in life that people created. Surely, that's got to be one of the most secular of all jobs. And when you read bondservant here in Colossians chapter 3, don't think someone who flips burgers at McDonald's or works the checkout at Walmart. And don't even think Jeeves in a large, rich mansion. A bondservant in the time that Paul wrote this was one of the absolute worst bottom-of-the-barrel stations of life in which someone could find himself. Bondservants usually owed some kind of debt to their masters. They had to do the dirtiest, most menial kinds of work. They were often paid very poorly. And yet, Paul looks at these individuals whose jobs include some of the most mundane, earthly, secular work, and he says to them, in your job as a bondservant, you are serving the Lord Christ. What a remarkable thought that is. Paul is intentionally choosing the lowliest of all professions and calling that service to Christ as a way of saying all legitimate human vocations in life are service to the Lord Christ. There is no legitimate profession that is somehow inferior in its ability to serve Christ than another. There there are perhaps some illegitimate professions, but you can serve the Lord Christ in all legitimate professions. In other words, being a pastor or a missionary is a wonderful God-given way to serve the Lord Christ. Absolutely true. But that is no more of a way to serve the Lord Christ than being an accountant, a garbage man, a plumber, a computer engineer, or a stay-at-home mom. All legitimate vocations can be full-time Christian service, and not just so that you can make money to use for ministry, or so that you can perhaps find opportunities to witness for Christ in your job, although both of those are wonderful things to do. But no, you can actually serve the Lord Christ in punching keys on a keyboard. You can serve the Lord Christ through balancing accounts, through selling cell phones, through fixing leaky faucets, and through wiping runny noses at home. You can serve the Lord Christ through those Well, in a moment, I want to explore another passage of Scripture that lays some foundation for why this is the case, why we can serve the Lord Christ through these vocations. But first, I want to add a new segment to this podcast that I hope that I plan will become a regular feature, and that is a hymn recommendation. I'd like to highlight some high-quality hymns that maybe are lesser known. And the first I'd like to highlight this week is one by a very familiar hymn writer and that is Isaac Watts. Watts is well known as the father of the English hymn. We know many of his hymns, such as Joy to the World, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Alas, and Did My Savior Bleed, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past, Jesus Shall Reign, we could go on and on. But one of my favorite hymns by Isaac Watts is actually a lesser known hymn. And it's a hymn that is entitled, How Sad Our State by nature is. Let me just read you the first stanza. How sad our state by nature is, our sin, how deep it stains, and Satan binds our captive minds fast in his slavish chains. So obviously, this hymn is focused upon our sinful condition, but it doesn't stop there. He transitions in the next line, but there's a voice of sovereign grace sounds from the sacred word, ho ye despairing sinner, come and trust upon the Lord. 
this is a hymn of focusing upon our sin, but also a hymn of forgiveness and hope found in the atonement of Jesus Christ. I love the last stanza where he says, Stretch out thine arm, victorious king, my reigning sins subdue, and drive the dragon from his seat with all his hellish crew. Typically, Watts doesn't use quite this colorful of language. Charles Wesley is far more known for the the beautiful poetry. Watts typically is more straightforward, but in this hymn, there's such rich and beautiful, colorful language that grips the affections and grips the imagination. And he continues, A guilty, weak, and helpless worm, on thy kind arms I fall. Be thou my strength and righteousness, my Jesus and my all. A wonderful hymn that reminds us of our sinful condition, but then sends us directly to Christ, where we find forgiveness and where we find continual help to flee Satan's influence and the influence of sin in our lives. Now, this can be sung with a number of tunes. I've heard it sung before with the tune Martyrdom, uh, to which we typically sing, Alas, and Did My Savior Bleed. But by far, my favorite tune for this hymn is one that was written actually relatively recently in 1998 by Joan J. Pinkston. And she named the tune Sasha. And it's a wonderful tune that begins in a minor mode focusing upon our sin. But when the, when the focus switches to the grace found in Jesus Christ, musically, it reflects that truth just beautifully and ends the hymn with quite a confidence that I don't think any other tune more fittingly represents. I'd encourage you to look this tune and text up online. Uh, if you simply visit classichymns.org and scroll down to How Sad Our State by Nature Is, you can download a PDF of this hymn for free. Well, why is it that we Christians can serve the Lord Christ in any vocation, just like a pastor can? Well, it's because God is at work in this world, but he's at work in this world really in two significant ways. Historically, this has been called God's two kingdoms. On the one hand, God is absolutely working to build what we might call his redemptive kingdom. Christ said, I will build my church, and he's doing that. And he's doing that through us, through his people, through the church. When we share the gospel, when we build up and encourage one another in the faith, when pastors preach and disciple believers, when we gather for corporate worship, in each of these activities, we are serving as ministers of God as he works to superintend over his redemptive kingdom. But that is not all that God is doing in the world. God is also working in this world to superintend what we might call his universal common kingdom. In other words, he's working to preserve order and peace in this sinful world. And just like in the redemptive kingdom, he uses people as tools to do that work. So in the common kingdom, God uses people to exercise dominion in various realms. Let me show you just one clear example of this in scripture. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, we read this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So here in Romans chapter 13, Paul is talking about human government. 
This is not the redemptive rule of God over his people. This is the earthly administration of making laws and enforcing laws and preserving peace in the common everyday affairs of life. Pretty mundane, right? Certainly this is not spiritual work, right? I mean, certainly someone working in a governmental office is not doing as significant work as serving as a pastor, right? But notice what Paul said at the end of the verse. Human government was instituted by God himself. Even something seemingly mundane and quote-unquote secular has been instituted by God in just the same way as he instituted the office of the pastor. And not only that, notice what Paul says about a governmental ruler who does what God has instituted in punishing wrongdoing and protecting the innocent. Paul says in verse 4 of the same chapter, For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. You see what he's saying there? A government employee, let's just use a police officer as an example, a regular secular job, right? Well, what Paul is saying is that a police officer who does his job and enforces laws that help to establish peace and order in society is a servant of God. And you know what's really remarkable? The word translated servant there is the word diakonos. It's the same word from which we get our word deacon, just means servant, minister. A police officer who is doing what God appointed him to do is literally a servant or minister of God. And what does it say at the end of the verse? When he punishes wrongdoing, he is actually carrying out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. God is ruling over his universal common kingdom, and he is doing that through what we might otherwise consider common, everyday, secular jobs. And the same is true for those who work in commerce, those who work in education, those who work in manufacturing, parents as they function as parents, and even, as Paul makes clear in Colossians chapter 3, bond servants who are scrubbing the toilets and taking out the trash. In any legitimate vocation in life, if you do what God has intended in helping to preserve peace and order in this world, you are a minister of God. Well, in a minute, I want to direct our attention to a reformer in the 16th century who expounded upon this truth a little bit more. But first, I want to recommend a book on this particular subject, and it is a book entitled, What is Vocation? by Stephen J. Nichols, published in 2010 by PNR. This is a book that addresses what we've been talking about in this podcast. Vocation simply comes from a Latin word that means calling and refers to the various callings into which we find ourselves in life. Everything from being a pastor and a missionary to being a police officer, a wife, a husband, a parent, a master, or a bondservant. And this little book, it's not very long, just 30 pages or so, unpacks biblically and historically the very things we've been talking about. And I highly recommend it if you want to read a little bit more on this subject or perhaps give this to someone else. This is a great book to start with. Well, the kind of thinking that says that only full-time church workers are really doing ministry was actually perpetuated during the Middle Ages. The medieval church taught that only being a pastor was really a calling of God. All other professions were simply necessary evils. 
And so it's really in the 17th century reformers that we get some of the most helpful arguments against that way of thinking. Martin Luther was particularly brilliant in combating this way of thinking and and arguing that God works through every legitimate profession. Luther used Psalm 147.13, for example, to prove this. The verse reads, For God strengthens the bars of your gates. How does God strengthen the bars, Luther asks? By city planners and architects, by politicians who pass good laws to protect the city. The psalm continues, God blesses your children within you. God does that. But how does he do that? How does God bless our children, Luther asks? Through the work of teachers and pediatricians. The psalm continues, God makes peace in your borders. How does he do that? By means of good lawyers and policemen. God fills you with the finest of wheat. How? By farmers and factory workers and grocers. Luther went on to say this. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread. And he does give us our daily bread. He does it by means of the farmer who planted and harvested the grain, the baker who made the flour into bread, and the person who prepared our meal. God answers our prayer for daily bread through each of these vocations. Our legitimate professions, Luther said, are like the masks that God wears in caring for the world. They are God's work. Now, don't get me wrong. Preaching and sharing the gospel with someone and reading scripture and worship services and teaching a Bible study and going on mission trips are indeed service for the Lord. We should be doing those things. And being a pastor or a missionary, these are wonderful God-ordained ministries. God calls people to these necessary ministries within the church. But they are wonderful God-ordained ministries only if that is what God has called you to do. You can and you should serve the Lord Christ in whatever God has called you to be. If God has called you to be a plumber and instead you pursue being a pastor, then that's the worst thing you could do. If God has called you to work in IT and instead you pursue being a missionary, then you are out of God's will for you. If God has called you to be a plumber or an IT guy, you can serve the Lord Christ in those callings. God calls each one of us into various vocations of life, not through a mystical feeling, or a. but God uses abilities and desires that he has given you to direct you. He orchestrates circumstances and opportunities for you in the course of your life. He uses wise counsel and confirmation from others in your life to guide you into the particular assignment that he has for you. And we need wisdom that comes from his word to assess how he is working and what he's doing through the circumstances of life and then work to serve him in whatever calling he has placed us. But the bottom line is that if God has called you to do something through equipping you, through giving you opportunities, through affirmation by others, then that is the most important high calling for you. And in that calling, you can serve the Lord Christ in just as a significant spiritual way as a pastor or a missionary can. You can serve the Lord Christ through being a student. You can serve the Lord Christ through being a teacher. You can serve the Lord Christ as a pilot, a banker, a mayor, a judge, a public school teacher, or a stay-at-home mother. And this is, is all the basis for the commands that Paul gives in Colossians chapter 3. 
because the profession God has called you to is service to Christ, do it heartily for him and not with mediocrity. Because your vocation is service to Christ, do it for him with sincerity of heart and not ultimately for others. Because everything we do in every sphere of life is in service to God, then we should have the highest standards of excellence in everything that we do. We should give our best. We should work ultimately for the reward of eternal life with Christ rather than for earthly gain. Christian bakers should bake the best bread possible. Christian bankers should invest their clients' money with the highest integrity. Christian auto mechanics should fix cars to the best of their abilities. Christian musicians should make music that best reflects and expresses the glory, beauty, and splendor of God. The central point is this. Pastors and missionaries and Bible study teachers serve the Lord Christ in various ministries within the church. These are necessary ministries. But you can serve the Lord Christ with just as much value and spiritual significance and heavenly reward as a plumber, a doctor, a teacher, an accountant, or a housewife. Thank you for listening to By the Waters of Babylon. Please subscribe on iTunes or other podcasting services. And if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash scottannual. I blog at religiousaffections.org. And for articles, audio, and speaking itinerary, visit scottannual.com. Join me next time as we discuss issues related to Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Mm